So today I want to talk about the power of transition. Of we, as we have been walking through, oh, thank you so much. Transitioning over from an old place into a new place and getting adjusted. It has been through blood, sweat, and tears by many people of getting this place ready. But transition isn't always about moving to a new place. It's not just physical, but it is spiritual, and there's a spiritual transition that happens throughout your entire life from the moment that we are born. A wind blowing in my microphone every time I breathe. <laughs> breathe life. So when, for me, transition has been a nonstop process. As, as you grow and as you learn new things, you are always transitioning into a different you. Um, I have a book that I'm starting to write. It's called A New Realm of You. And it's something that's been in the works for my entire life. Because every time we shift and every time we change, we become a new us and who we are. And understanding your identity is something that's very difficult for every person because everybody goes through a different walk and a different life and a different style. So when we transition into the spirit realm, we decide to, si decide to follow Jesus, decide that he is our love, that he is our Lord that he is our everything, it changes and it shakes you to the core and it changes everything. So I want to start with a story about uh, me and Pastor Wren. If you didn't know, I'm Pastor Wren's wife. <laughs> we are co-pastors here. And um, he's out of town today. He's been ministering in Texas and Florida. So um, when we first got together and we were going to get married, I was in a position in my life where I definitely did not understand who I was. And I was very quiet, intimidated, and I'm the introvert for all those who don't know that yet. I am the introvert, so I have become an extroverted introvert over the years, which is a thing, if you did not know. So, um, <laughs> But in the beginning, people would ask him if I even talked to him. They're like, you're together with her. Like, does she talk? Is that, is that really a thing? So for me, it was very hard because I considered myself to be so shy that I couldn't communicate with people that I did not already know. Now, get me one-on-one -on -one and sit me down. I would be able to communicate because it was just something I had to because I was the only one in the room, right? So you didn't have much of a choice. You were put in that position of having to talk to somebody. But other than that, I was very introverted. I was very to myself because I was afraid of talking to people. I was afraid of any kind of communication with people I did not know. And Honestly, it's 
a multitude of reasons why that happened, being afraid of people accepting you, being afraid of um, if they would like you or not, being afraid of being made fun of was probably one of the biggest ones because I was made fun of my whole life growing up. So that was the normal thing that I understood that people did to me, you know, and that was just how people were. So for me, trying to communicate with people that I didn't already know was a fear of being judged or being made fun of. So that's where I came from. And so fast forward <laughs> a few years. And if anybody knows Pastor Ren, I mean, you know, if you get put in a room with him and you're with a group of people, he's going to probably make you talk at some point anyways. So he was very helpful in my ability to grow in that area. I, I definitely wouldn't be where I am without him. Absolutely, 100%. Um, so fast forward to us uh, going into ministry circumstances. I started with cleaning a church, and then I went into, um, went into helping with children's ministry. And those were places that I could be by myself. I didn't have to communicate with uh, other people when I cleaned. I did not have to communicate with adults. Children were easy to talk to. You're not afraid of them because they just love you. And they're just cute, right? So it was something that was easy for me to move into. And then um, <laughs> comes down to it and you get involved in some small groups and get to talk in the midst of small groups and women's ministry or Bible study or things of that nature. And um, that helped in transitions for me of being able to open up some more. And uh, <laughs> it came to a place where um, it was almost 10 years into our marriage before I sang in front of Ren. I was made fun of for my voice when I was growing up, so I would not sing in front of him for almost 10 years. And um, which he never understood because he would hear me in secret and he'd be like, why don't you sing? And so fast forward then, we got into worship ministry <laughs> and we started doing worship together. And that definitely, if you've ever been involved in a worship team, they kind of force you to step out of your comfort zone and, <laughs> and uh, branch out. And so that was definitely a huge transition that the Lord put me in for that. Um, which is crazy because I was in choir in high school, but you sang in a big group and you didn't have to talk to everybody else. You just <laughs> sang with a team and nobody heard you individually. So it was easy. And then we went to, uh, we, were you, we were youth sponsors for a long time. And from there, we moved on to going to a church called Harvest Time. It was actually around the corner from here originally. And we had dropped out of church for a while and then stepped back into church and went there. And immediately they had us leading worship and starting a youth team, a youth, a youth group. <laughs> and after we did that, we were there for, we were there for a couple of years 
And then one Sunday, the pastor announced, hey, we're closing our doors next week. We've sold the building. And nobody knew anything. Like, that was how we found out. And we're like, oh, we sold the building. We're, we're done, and we're closing our doors next week. So this is our last service. And um, that was hard. It was hard. We had built a lot of relationships there because we were leading in multiple capacities. And uh, so everybody gets together, and they go, what are we supposed to do? Like, what do we do? We don't want to lose each other. You know, we wanted to stay connected, and we all still wanted to get together and meet. And um, so, like, well, everybody just come to our house, and we'll just figure it out. You know, we'll we'll just chat and hang out and have a little Bible study and stuff while we're there, and then we'll see what see what we can do. We'll do, have some people doing researches for churches around the area and for a good church, and. Um, from there, we met for a few weeks, and then people didn't want to find a new church. They just said, why don't we just do this? So we started a home church, <laughs> and that's where we came from. Now, when the Lord told Pastor Wren that we were supposed to home ch- start a church, I looked at him dead in the face, and I said, you know I'm not a pastor's wife, right? <laughs> it's like, that's, that's not who I am. I know I've known pastor's wives, and every one that I've known has been kind of mean, um, <laughs> and is reclusive and doesn't talk to anybody. Like they come in as worship is going, and then they leave before service is over, and that's that's how I knew pastor's wives. Now that's not to um, say all of them were like that. That's just the ones that I had met. So, um, in the midst of that, he was like, "No, I know. I mean, I know." And I was still introvert, introverted myself. I hadn't gotten there. I hadn't hadn't arrived yet. Still haven't. So <laughs> in the midst of that, we got to know a lot of amazing people. And I couldn't be introverted anymore because I just love them, <laughs> you know. Um, so I'm still introverted, so if I seem like kind of quiet at, at times, it's probably because I'm having my introvert moment. <laughs> and if you know anything about introverts, they, they actually need to be alone at times. There's, there's times, like, they can be social, but then there's moments where they're like, I just need to be alone. Like, I need, I need my space, I need to be alone, and be able to talk to God by myself. Let me just be there, you know. So um, it may be one of those moments, too. So if they're kind of cranky that you approached them, that's not much. It's not you. It's them. Like, it's, it's really them in, in a serious note. But um, it took me two years before the Lord was very stern with me on when are you going to finally accept who you are? And I was like, but I'm not a pastor's wife. And I would tell him that. (laughs) He goes, no, you're not. You're a pastor. And I had to finally accept. It took me two years to accept being a pastor. And it took me longer to accept what that entails. (laughs) But, and I'm I'm still figuring it out. 
you know, we haven't, we haven't arrived yet. We're still figuring out how everything, how the Lord wants everything to go. And we've, we went from in the house with 45 people and no furniture. I literally had no furniture in my house. Like we were sitting on, well, they're not green chairs. We had green chairs at the time, just like this. And that's what filled my house my living room and my dining room. And that's how we had service and that's how we had to live. Um, we went to a smaller building and then to the building and bigger, bigger building in Mustang. And now we are here. Fast forwarding to the bigger building that we were at in Mustang is when we fully, I think we fully started understanding what it was to be apostles and not just pastors because there's different calls on every person and there's different levels that you have to reach. Sometimes your call is waiting on you to accept it before he will tell you. To accept being an apostle, I had to accept being a pastor. And there was no way he was going to be able to tell me what that entailed unless I accepted it. So, um... But it is very important, no matter what your stages are, that your foundation is firm and that you understand where that's at. Because if you grow and your foundation is not solid and you know what you believe and you know where you're going um, or where you've been, then as you grow, you're going to lose that foundation. You're going to forget what that truly is. The foundation of the faith is love. That's why there's so many songs that talk about going back to your first love. We can grow and we can mature and we can do all these things, but if we forgot the love, the origination of where it came from, then our effect is nothing. And love is, love is your key. So... How do we know if our foundation is strong on our faith and on our love? What happens to you when you go through trials? Did you forget what you believed? Now, there's moments that you will question some of the things that go on because the enemy attacks you and he will play on those thoughts, right? But do you know that he is faithful and true? Do you know that he loves you? Do you know that he is your groom? That he is your father? That he is your comforter? That he is your peace? Like, do you know those things? So when trials come, and you might waver in one area or another of the foundations of faith, but ultimately, are you crumbling in the midst of the trial? Or are you trusting that he's going to push you through? I think one of the biggest things that the Lord did for me when I decided to finally follow him, um, there's a difference between believing and following. We can believe in Jesus, and we can believe that he died for us. But there's a big difference when you decide to follow Jesus and follow that call, because there are, there are many that are called, but few that are chosen. 
why does that why is that statement has anybody questioned i i question i've questioned that actually a lot why is it that everyone's called but few are chosen because for because few of us choose to follow the call you're chosen if you've chosen it i said that weird but that's okay um, <laughs> You got, you got what I meant. <laughs> oh, yeah. Be like crystal. <laughs> I'm going to do the crystal. That's what I'm going to call it. I'm going to do the crystal. <laughs> so um, for me, there weren't very many people in my life that ever believed that I could do anything or that I could amount to anything. Growing up, I was made fun of all the time. So for me, I didn't have that. Um, my family wasn't secure. They argued all the time. It was bickering and ridiculousness. And then when the par my parents divorced, it was separated. I didn't, um, I didn't, I didn't barely, s you know, most people when their parents go through a divorce, you see one parent like every so often, but you're living with one. Um, I was living with my mom, and I never saw my dad until he was upset with something and had me live with him. Like, I never saw him, you know? So it was weird. But um, I, didn't have, I didn't have that backup or encouragement or belief that I could ever amount to anything. And that happens in all of our lives, no matter whether you had a decent support when you were growing up or you have a decent support even right now there are those that are in all of our lives that are like oh you think you can do that like or will cr or in some respects be like oh i can't help you you're you're reaching out for help and they they are refusing to help or they don't what i've come to find in a lot of those situations though if they are a lot of times when they're refusing to help, it's because they don't believe they have the ability to help you. They have their own intimidation and fear about the fact that they won't be able to fulfill what you're asking them to do. And a lot of times that's what holds most of us back. We're afraid we won't complete. We won't, we're afraid that we won't be able to fulfill um, the obligation, complete the job. There's certain jobs some people will actually be offered but won't accept because they don't think that they'll be able to complete that job and they will fail. Fear of failure is one of your biggest enemies. So I want to read um, Matthew chapter 3 verses 13 through 17. So then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to be baptized by John. But John tried to deter him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and do you come to me? Jesus replied, let it be so now. It is proper for us to do this to fulfill all righteousness. Then John consented. As soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water. At that moment, heaven was opened, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, This is my son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. And then Jesus was led out to the 
by the spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. That was Matthew 4.1. So I want to take a couple of pieces off of this. In the first initial portion of this scripture, in 13, John tried to deter Jesus, saying, but I'm supposed to be baptized by you. The initial thing is being not worthy to baptize him because he needs the baptism. Some people just need that encouragement, but this is what needs to be done, and I need you to do it so that we can be an example. So to be able to help people shift from that, oh, I, I don't know that I can do that for you. They just need the encouragement that they can. Encouragement goes a lot farther than we would give it credit for. But every one of us wants it. And it's one of the harder things for people to think about doing, too. So we need to be encouraging one another. And in the midst of transition, it can be very painful. So the encouragement is very necessary. So in the second portion of it, as we go from chapter 3 into chapter 4, Jesus' transition into ministry started with baptism, wilderness, and temptation. So when they're in the midst of when we're in the midst of transition, there is there is many levels of transition. So some things can go pretty smoothly. We're accepting it. We're um, we're saying okay, wherever wherever I need to whatever I need to do, wherever I need to go. If you're looking for a job and you're desperate for a job, you're going to go anywhere and do anything, and then you're going to receive a job somewhere, whether it's the one you like or not, but at least you're going to have that, right? That can be simple in some, some aspects, or it can be difficult. Um, but some, some transitions cause us to go into a wilderness, because we need the testing and the trials to be able to reach where we're going. There are promotions in your jobs. If you go from one area and you're striving to get to another area in the job place, the workplace, when I worked, I started as a receptionist. I went into, um, I went into doing some examination work, which was documentation. And I went from that to, be, to being in a higher position. I was at the job for four years before I got there, but it was, it was work. I worked my way to it. It wasn't a hard transition because I was working the whole time. I was working for it the whole time. So that's a job place position of transition that can be an easement, right? But there are some things that are difficult. If you're trying to change jobs or if you're trying to move somewhere, moving is difficult. It is not an easy process. Um, buying a house is not the easiest process. You get excited once you find a place. Well, once you find a place that you like, 
you actually have to get an offer accepted. And then and that's if you're not battling with somebody else trying to take position. And then if they accept your offer, now you've got 100,000 things of documents that you have to submit to be able to get a loan for the process. And then in the process of doing that, you got to do inspections and appraisals and all these different kinds of things to be able to try to purchase the actual home that you're trying to buy. And then what if the inspection comes out bad or the appraisal comes out at a different price than it was supposed to be? And so now you got to shift in how much you're going to pay for the pay for the house. Plus, you also have to get all these things fixed in order to be able to close and actually buy this perfect home that you actually wanted. And then if it's a home that somebody's living in, they got to move out first before you can take possession. It's, oh, it's not the easiest process. It can be difficult. And then you got to figure out how you're going to move <laughs> and box up all the crap that you've stored up over the last 10 years. <laughs> but transition and definition is a process or a period of changing from one state or condition to another. And no matter what you're doing, no matter what part of your life it is, your transition is changing your conditions. And it's changing your responses. It's changing who you are. Everything that comes our way shifts and changes us. In, in pregnancy, transition is the last part of active, lab active labor. So when you, you've, you've gone through the process of you getting massively huge and feeling like you're an elephant, and <laughs> I've done it three times. I know what you mean. So, uh, <laughs> but it can be very intense and very painful. Um, in, your, in your labor period of you... Um, what they call dilating, and that's how close you are to actually having the baby once you go to the hospital. Um, if you are too stressed, it can actually restrict you being able to complete going into labor. I had that issue with one of mine. Um, the amount of I had a heart issues at the time, so my heart would act up, and so it gained a lot of stress on me, and they had to give me something to make me sleep so I would relax to have my child. Um, which is a lot of reasons why doctors started suggesting epidurals. <laughs> and why a lot of people get those now. Um, because it can be very painful, and if they're too stressed and their body is too tense, they can't actually physically have the child naturally. And it can be dangerous not to just the child, but to the mother. And it can be very dangerous. Um, I had a lot of scares with two of my children. so. <laughs> but just because it is painful in the midst of transition does not mean that you are not progressing. One of the biggest things that the enemy likes to do is tell you, well, you're having a hard time right now, so you're not going anywhere. You're stuck, which is not actually true. Majority of the time, it's just a lie. 
Now, if we've been stagnant for years and months and you're just sitting there in it, that, I mean, that could be another conversation. But um, just because it's painful does not mean that you are not progressing in your walk or where you're going or accomplishing the goal that you have set for yourself or that the Lord has set for you. Progression in itself and how it feels is beyond your control. So you need to just relax. <laughs> the Lord said, the yoke, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. So if he is carrying the burden, then you can be light. And you can rest easy and trust that what he is doing is going to be accomplished. And he has you in his hand. Ultimately, as, as those that are believers... You should be trusting that he knows what he's doing and trusting that he's going to see you through it because he always does. Any point in your life, no matter how old or young that you are, even right now, are you not still here? Have you not, can you not give a testimony over something that you have succeeded in? Is there not something in your life that you can give praise for? So everything else in your life right in this moment might be damper and ugly, but what have you already overcome? So in moments of those, I can't believe all of this is coming at me, remember what has been done already. So trusting in the Lord to bring you through and keeping it in his hands is the only way to make transition easier for you. Let him be the driver and steer you in the right direction with the right people. So who are you surrounded by? Who you're surrounded by will change a lot of your position. Are they encouraging you or are they bringing you down? Are they condemning you because something is going on in your life? Or are they encouraging you and pushing you through it? Are they holding your hands like Moses needed? Are they, are they carrying the weight for you like everybody likes the footprints, uh, the footprints uh, analog poem? analogy of where there's two footprints in the sand and then there's only one and the Lord says that's when I carried you the people that are around you are a part of who like if you're a believer and if you are if, if you're sitting in this congregation there's a fellow amount there's fellow believers in this room there's other people in this room that will hold your hands up when you feel like you can't stand that's a part of Jesus walking Jesus walking are those people that are right next to you. So when things are going on, they're the ones that are going to carry you through it. Because sometimes we can't walk. There are some trials that are very grievant. There are some things that are despair. When a parent loses their child, it is despair. I remember when, when Ren's brother passed away, me and him were very close. And when we found out, his mom was in a grocery store. And she fell to the floor. 
because she got the phone call that her son had died. And I had to go pick her up off the floor in a grocery store. That's despair. Is that a moment that, hey, God won't give you more than you can handle? That's not what he's talking about. There are moments we can't handle, and that's why there's people around you. So when Jesus was transitioning for his next position, he had started with purification and communion. So I'm going to read Matthew 26, verses 6 through 13. Now, when Jesus was in Bethany at the home of Simon the leper, a woman came to him with an alabaster vial of very costly perfume. And she poured it on his head as he reclined at the table. But the disciples were indignant when they saw this and said, Why this waste? For this perfume might have been sold for a high price and the money given to the poor. But Jesus, aware of this, said to them, Why do you bother this woman? For she has done a good deed to me. For you always have the poor with you, but you do not always have me. For when she poured this perfume on my body, she did it to prepare me for burial. Truly I say to you, whenever this gospel is preached in the whole world, that this woman has done will also be spoken in memory of her. woman poured oil or perfume on his head. Could you imagine having perfume poured on your head right now? Like everybody knows perfume. <laughs> it's very strong and potent, right? And it would probably burn your eyeballs. <laughs> but his response is about her preparing him for burial. It's a part of um, Jewish tradition for burials with the perfume. But I'm not going to go into that today. So, so after that, the story goes on about the Passover and how he broke the bread and took the cup but I also want to read this story in John. Same story. I just like some of the way John reads on this story. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John have the same stories, but they all have different perspectives, which is why huh, some of them have some different stories than other people do, because not all the 12 disciples were on the same place at the same time, unlike what you would have believed growing up. So... John 12, 1 through 8, Jesus, therefore, six days before the Passover, came to Bethany where Lazarus was, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. 
So they made him a supper there, and Martha was serving. But Lazarus was one of those reclining at the table with him. Mary then took a pound of very costly perfume of pure nard and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair, and the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. But Judas Iscariot, one of his disciples who was intending to betray him, said, Why was this perfume not sold for 300 denarii and given to poor people? Now he said this, not because he was concerned about the poor, but because he was a thief. And as he had the money box, he used a pillar that he used to pilfer what was put in it. Therefore, Jesus said, let her alone so that she may keep it for the day of my burial. For you always have the poor with you, but you do not always have me. The large crowd of the Jews then learned that he was there, and they came not for Jesus' sake only, but that they might also see Lazarus, whom he raised from the dead. But the chief priests planned to put Lazarus to death also, because on account of him many of the Jews were going away and was believing in Jesus. Same story. Two perspectives. Right? But in the same sense, she's preparing him for burial. I think one of the hardest things to learn is that as you go throughout your walk is that you have to continue to die. More of you and less of me. How do we get more of him and less of me unless we die more and more to ourselves? Is it his desire or is it ours? Is it what he longs to do in you? Or did the cake just look too good today? <laughs> Luckily, I don't like cake, so I don't have that problem. But I like some Reese's Cups or Oreos. Don't give me a box of Oreos because I will eat the whole thing. So um, that was another thing for me and Pastor Wren that was a very hard, very hard and upcoming topic that the Lord um, really got on to me for is food. It's the initial sin, temptation of food. And it was a continual, um, continual temptation throughout scriptures. Um, we've, we've struggled with being healthy for a long time. And it was two years ago when the Lord, I believe it was two years ago, when the Lord got on to me and he said, he said, how are you taking care of my general? He was talking about Ren, Pastor Ren. Because I'm the one that buys the food. I'm the one that cooks the food. All that kind of stuff. And he goes, how are you taking care of him? I have stuff for you guys to do. And if you're not taking care of your bodies, I can't do it. So a couple years ago, we started trying to figure out what we could do to be healthier 
so that we could actually live in alignment with what he wanted to do through us. People like to pick on food because it's easy, but sometimes it can be serious because ultimately a lot of the reasons why we feel the way we do is because we're not eating right and taking care of the temples that the Lord has given us because our body is his temple once we become a believer. How is he to expand if we keep cluttering it up? So um, that was definitely a hard-to-come-by reality that the Lord got on to me about for a while. (laughs) And then ultimately, after he said that about him, he goes, well, what about you? I was like, but I'm feeding him, right? Yeah. And people will question you about what you're doing good and bad. People want to see love, and when they see people in unity loving people, no matter where they're at, they want to know what you're doing. But people who don't understand, the the lost don't understand. The lost don't understand why you would choose to not do drugs with them, why you would choose to not drink with them, why we would choose to not go party with them, like the lost wouldn't understand that kind of stuff. The lost doesn't understand why you don't have a foul mouth. I mean, I've came across that. But why do we expect them to understand? Why are we judging the fact that they don't understand when they don't know? Nobody knows until they know. Like ultimately, the result is nobody knows until you know. Age of accountability is once you know. When you have the realization and you've been taught, you're accountable for your actions. One of the reasons why Paul said, I am the greatest of all sinners because he realized as he grew, just as most of us, as you grow, you realize how much you don't know and how much you've you've really cost yourself and other people. The call that's placed on your life isn't just for you. It's for your family and your friends, the stranger on the street, your enemies. The greatest thing you can do is be kind to your enemies because they will wonder why. You want somebody to be better to you, treat them nicer. And let them wonder why you are being so nice because they've been so hateful. I've, um, there's this older movie with Will Smith. It's called Seven Pounds. I don't know if anybody's seen it. And, you know, I watched it again, and I was like, oh, this was a great movie. And then I realized how, like, sad that movie was after I'd seen it again after a few years. I was like, oh, my gosh. Uh, But anyways, the concept itself was very, very interesting. Um, He was looking for people 
to label for organ donors. So specific things with his body that he wanted to donate when he died, right? And so he was finding people himself so that he could label him in his will, them in his will. And in doing so, he wanted to make sure they were good people. And so he did some really in-depth research on every single person that he was looking into. And in doing so with some of the people, he would be horribly hateful and mean to them. He would be as ugly as possible and say the worst possible things to them just to see if they would slip and be mean back. Because he wanted to know that if he was going to give his heart to someone as an organ when he died, that they would treat it right to other people and be good. And sometimes people are just testing you to see if as a believer, a so-called Christ follower, a Jesus follower who loves, you know, to promote all these things, especially the people on social media that like to get on all the time. They will test you just to see if you will lash back out. To see if you're worthy of following. Can they trust you with their issues? Can they trust you with their problems? Because if they follow you, some people, once they follow you, they're, they're following you. Like, you can't get rid of them. <laughs> He's like, just try to get rid of me. I'm here. <laughs> but we're all one body. Should we not all be connected that way? We should be transitioning together. As believers, we should be transitioning together. So Jesus, in transitioning, went through purification with a woman washing his feet and communion to prepare himself for what was to come. After communion, he goes out with his disciples, or a couple of his disciples, not all of them, to Gethsemane to pray. And as he's praying and he's sweating blood, one of the things that's reviewing that story that I didn't realize before was that the angels came and ministered to him during that time so that he would have the strength to fulfill the call. And in one version of the scriptures of the story, you hear about the disciples falling asleep and him asking, can they not stay awake one hour? And he goes back and it says, after the disciples had fallen asleep from grief. How many people have fallen asleep crying? Over someone else. Gives you a little different perspective of them sleeping, right? Not that they didn't love Jesus or care for him or even 
we're praying for him, you know, but Jesus still had to have the angels come and minister to give him strength to endure what he had to do. And there are angels that minister to us. But he's also called us to be together and minister to one another and love each other. Not on transition is hard, but we need to be aware that there is hard transitions. And most people have lately been going through the hard ones, which is why this one's a harder message. Because I feel like it's necessary for you to understand that, for one, you're not alone. The enemy is ultimate goal is to seclude you and to make you feel alone because if you're alone you won't talk to anybody else but what I have noticed in the midst of all of that is that majority of the time if you're going through something somebody in your family or your friends are going through the same exact thing and if he secludes you to make you feel like you can't talk about it then none of, neither one of you and you both do the same thing then neither one of you will open it up and you will both end up depressed and alone. And the enemy has won his game. But if you can look at it in a different viewpoint and realize that, hey, this is a strategy of the enemy, so it's not just me. And use it to empower you to intercede on someone else's behalf. That strategy is killed. And when I say intercede, I just mean pray for other people, if you don't know what that means. It's just an in-depth prayer. When you are personally entwined in something that has made you feel a certain way, you can know how hard you want to pray about it for someone else. Because it's personal. So, as we transition into another position to fulfill the mission that is in our lives, we must first pursue past what we are going through that has been long overdue to be removed from our lives that has been weighing us down. There are things that have been buried in us that need to be uprooted in order to complete the mission and the call on your life and the completion of your transition. Sometimes your transition is just uprooting old wounds because once you've overcome that wound or that root and you pull that up, then you can move forward into a completely different area that you didn't realize that that, that root was holding you back from. The reason why people are like, why do I keep going around this mountain? Because you didn't pull the root when he was trying to unveil it for you. Some roots are harder than others, which is why some transitions are harder than others. Because every transition helps you overcome something. And when you have a weed that you pull out of the garden, it's not that hard to pull out. But if you have a big oak tree that is blocking your water pipe, it's harder to uproot because you got to unbury it and you got to be gentle 
so you don't break the water pipe. And the same thing goes with roots that go in your life. Because some roots are so deep that if you just try to yank it, you end up hurting yourself and not pulling the root. And when it comes to trees, everybody, anybody ever tried to pull up a tree by yourself? I mean, how long did that take you? But when you had some helpers and somebody that had the right tools, made it a little bit easier. And it allowed you to break free faster. So seclusion actually restricts how fast you can break free as well. So I give the example of buying a house before. And I want to talk about conquering territories. Because we all have territories to conquer. Whether it's the territory in our house, or at our job, or in our personal lives, in our children. We all have territories that we take possession of. If you get an apartment, that is your apartment, your name is on it, it's your territory, right? If you buy a house, your name is on it, you've possessed it, it is your territory. But even in doing so, there has to be a replacement of the old to bring in the new. There are things that possessed that land that needs to be removed and things that need to replace it. So every time when we bought our house out in Tuttle, we live in Tuttle, we have about, we have nine and a half acres, and it was a lot. It's, it's still a lot to take care of. I really can't keep up with the grass. It's ridiculous. Um, <laughs> but it, it had things that were attached from previous people. There were some bad things that happened at that house. And so when, and to some people this sounds odd and it's weird, but I tell you what, God proved himself in it. So I can only speak what he's done. So when we moved there, there had been some deaths. There had been some allowances of wild animals just taking over the house. Um, and everything was just overgrown everywhere. Um, we had bought it from the bank, so it had been sitting empty for a while because the old lady that had owned it, her, her husband died and her son died. There was a lot of depression there. And depression kills things. Um, so when, when we were going through it and we prayed over the land, we went through, we put our hands on the ground, and we released the land to be fruitful. And <laughs> the next season was spring. We had done that in winter, and spring came around, and we had released it during that winter. And we started seeing these random bushes and trees, like, blossoming in, in weird ways, and we were like, what the heck is this? The entire fence line is lined with blackberries. It had never been fruitful before. We'd been there over, uh, we'd been there for almost two years. Never been fruitful before. And 
blackberries everywhere along the fence line. And then we found that the tree that we thought was just a random tree in the backyard was an apple tree. And then we found some other stuff that was just random that was just growing on the land. And the land became fruitful. And we specifically had released the land to be fruitful. So while it might sound weird, and it might sound strange to some people, God produced fruit on our property after we claimed it to be fruitful. I mean, <laughs> you can't really change that. So if you like blackberries, sometimes there's a lot and sometimes there's not. <laughs> but um, the battleground, depending on where you're at, this location has been a battleground. I mean, we found things, uh, we've talked, we've testified about it, finding things hidden in the walls that you didn't even know were there or that shouldn't have been there or uh, having issues with different areas, the plumbing being backed up and roots growing in and all that, that kind of stuff. And, um, and I find it very ironic that roots were growing into the plumbing, I'm just saying. like, um, And then having water leaks and different things like that here. But there's been, there's, there's a reason that in the scriptures it talks about having the full armor of God on and that we might overcome the powers and the rulers and the principalities. And we think of the demonic and we think of one thing, but there are rulers and principalities that are in different areas, which is why you see different kind of traumas in different areas, different kind of possessions. Why do some locations in Oklahoma City, Midwest City, Dell City, Yukon, Mustang. Why why are things so different in different areas? Oklahoma City has like has like a hundred different like genres to it. <laughs> that you could go one street and you'd find one thing and then the next street over you're like, oh, we just hit Chinatown. Like what's happening? <laughs> you know, there's a reason that that is like that because there's different dominions there. And every different location has different dominions. Well, where do strongholds and principalities come from? The acceptance of the people. The only way to change principalities and strongholds in an area is to minister to the people and for the people to change and to stop allowing that to come around in their area. It's ultimately the body that has to pull it down. It's not a one person, hey, we're just going to say, uh, we're just going to say this area is, we can claim it as ours, but ultimately we have to change the culture because the culture is what has created those things. Change the culture and it changes people. And people change the atmosphere and the situations and the circumstances. We want breakthrough. Change your atmosphere and your culture. What culture are you living in? Because each one of us, no matter how strong of faith we have as believers, we all have the capability to change the culture. Are we secluding ourselves to where people can't see what kind of culture we create? 
because we're afraid of the judgment or, oh, look at what area I live in or, oh, well, people just look at me weird. And, you know, most of the time people look at you weird. It's just because they're in their own thoughts. People just have strange faces. Me included. I do that. I'll be off in thought and I'll be like, <laughs> we're all like that. But understanding where you're at and understanding that just because things are hard does not mean you're not going anywhere. Understanding that there's, there's family here. If you're stuck in the midst of a transition and you can't figure out how to get out, then you may be holding on too strong. Or you may be walking it alone. And that's why it's taking you so long. Because we're not called to be alone. We're called to work together. So us in transition here, there's a lot of movement here. And if you don't have a place that you're plugged in at, there is a lot of stuff that you can get, get joined into. There's a lot of areas and gaps that are needed to be filled and some of them might just be waiting on you. There are some ministries that are called to be here that aren't here because we don't have people to fill them. So if there's a ministry that you don't know about, it may be just that you didn't look yet, or it may be that it's been waiting on you to step up. I want to give you hope this morning that transition is, no, is not a bad thing. I watched my, my oldest son. He's at Rainey Clark School right now. He did his first big sermon. Well, I say big sermon. It was 20 minutes for the school um, this week, and I got to watch it. And he um, spoke on... <laughs> so he spoke on pain. He spoke on um, being called to, to, to serve, to suffer for the cause of Christ. It's one of those things that most people don't talk about, right? We're not afraid to talk about weird, di difficult subjects here, so hopefully you guys know that by now. Or welcome to Freedom Fellowship. We like talking about difficult subjects, and um, suffering for the cause of Christ is actually exciting. It, it is. And I loved, I loved the way he brought it across, and that's exactly what he, what he was doing. He was like, to, could you imagine to suffer? We talk about the prophets and, and, the, and all the apostles and the disciples and all of those who have suffered for the cause of Christ. Look what they did. That's awesome. And yet we're fearing it for ourselves. We should be excited about what God is telling us to do because through it, we are, dying to, we are truly dying to ourselves. And we're allowing the transition that the Lord is trying to move in us in. And we can truly come alive. 
We want to find life and life abundantly. We talk about life and life abundantly. Joy, the Lord, is your strength, right? Fulfill the call that the Lord has placed inside of you. And to do that, you have to be obedient to the small things that he says. Hey, look at that girl at the next table. She could use you to say hi. She's not doing that great right now. It doesn't have to be something huge. Sometimes it's something simple as a smile to somebody who feels like their world is falling apart. We want to pray for you. Send us a message with your prayer requests through Facebook or email and let us know how we can pray for you today. Also, let us know how this message impacted your life. I love you. God loves you. Shalom.